here with Mike Sakash from Freiburg Academy. Hello, how you doing? Good. So this is like a special because as people, if they're watching, can see we're in this foreign place. And uh, so we're up at Jazz Allstate and we kind of thought, well, our, our schedules are pretty busy, but we're going to be in the same place. So why don't we do a session? So I called, shout out to Craig Ouellette and the superintendent at Camden Hills Regional High School. And I don't know her name and everybody here, but they, she's like, oh yeah, I can get your room. It's actually a podcast room. So we're here and like there's microphones and super cool. What do you call Is that a mixer? Uh, like a yeah, free... we've got a board right here. Board. It's like... So it's very important. I brought all the gear, but I don't need it. Yeah. So thank you for people who are kind of were part of letting us use this space yeah. and it's pretty awesome. So um, what, are we, what are we talking about today? Well, what are we talking about today? So I've been thinking about um, where I teach currently and um, what I've learned teaching there. I teach at Freiburg Academy, which is a, a very rural Western Maine high school. Um, been there for about 13 years. And um, it was kind of an unexpected job for me. I, I started out teaching college and and the community music school, and I uh, really love it there. In the last couple of years, I've sort of been paying attention to what I like about the place and thinking about what I've learned about teaching there. Um, one of the things I love right now and in the last few years is in the student population, we seem to have this really great community of musicians. And this is happens in the school day, but also after the school day, which is an important part that I want to I talk about a bit, um, but it didn't really hit me until the last few years, you know, how this community developed and why it develops. Um, but, you know, one of the things I noticed, for example, is we start out the year and because we're a small school, it always seems like, boy, we're not going to have enough to have a band or we're not going to have enough to have a big band. What do I do with this banjo player? You know, um, so last few years, what I've been doing is not instigating that much at the beginning of the year, but always being available. And this is something that, you know, I'm going to say this a couple of times today, but um, you know, the things that I found work don't suit everybody's career mm -hmm. and their lifestyle and all that. And I never say those things like you should be doing this. It's just the reality of where we are. Um, but the first month of school, I'm always, I'm at school all the time, you know, after school, before school. And I sort of made it a practice to practice at school and talk about that a little bit too. And just observe what happens in the building, you know, not get into it. Um, and we have some dorm students too. And when I leave the building open all the time, kids end up there just hanging out, which is neat. And you're just there meeting kids, getting to know them. Eventually kids are, you know, picking up guitars, playing. And my first instinct's always like, oh, I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna make them better, you know? And now I just kind of step back and just, I practice and they practice. And what happens inevitably is, is groups develop and you can kind of observe what students are naturally drawn to. And as time goes on, you can just sort of be a connector. Say, oh, but you should go, go downstairs and check out what John's working on. And um, it really does work. Kids sort of see that, okay, this is what happens after school and, and so forth. And um, you really start to see kids um, inspired by their own interests. And you get to learn what they do well. 
Uh, and then after maybe a month or so of kind of watching that, then I'll sort of step in and say, hey, let's work on this. Let's work on this. Um, so that's been really neat to see at the academy um, and just allowing the kids that space to do that and learning what they do first before I say, okay, I'm Mr. Teacher. I'm going to come and help you. So you're at school all the time. Yeah, the, it, I'm kind of there a lot. I mean, I'm not there every single day, but there's, and it's a sacrifice. There's but, some, and your kids are older. Your kids are what, 17 and well, we have um, no, like your, your daughters. Oh, my daughters. I have a daughter in college and a daughter who's a senior in high right. school. Okay. Yeah. And here's the thing is they're not usually there because they're, they're more into dance, you know? Um, there are so many days where like, I want to get home. I want to play with my boats. <laughs> I want to go hiking and, you know, a kid will walk in the door. Hey, Mr. Saycash, can I play bass for a while? I'm like, okay. You know, you're, you're hanging out there, but then you're listening. Um, just happened, we have a student from Turkey, his name is Arda, and he came in like, you know, 4.45, and I'm out the door, Mr. Sekash, I really like to play the bass. Okay, thinking he's a beginner, and then he starts playing um, Jacob Astorius Donnelly. He's from, he's from Turkey. Wow. It's all he can play, is Donnelly. <laughs> but, you know, so all these discoveries are happening, um, so it's been really neat. Wow. Um, the, the practice thing, uh, that kind of goes with that is last few years, you know, as much as I want to be at home, I've been doing like my, my daily warm up. And, you know, one of the things, this is something that I really believe and it's not for everybody. I totally get that, but I don't tell the students to do anything that I don't do, you know? So I'm there in the morning. I've made a point to do my long tones in the morning at school. So the kids are walking and dropping their instruments off and I'm, you know, I'm playing overtones on my saxophone, which does not sound pretty, <laughs> you know, and after a couple of years, other kids are doing that too, you know, and then after school, that's usually when I'm playing my scales, if there's free time working on music and feel like students say, oh, this is, this is what musicians do. They, they warm up in the morning and they practice and they're here and they're working on stuff and they're connecting with people. And before the ensemble rehearsals begin in the year, it's just nice to see that start to make sense to the students. So when you walk the walk, right? But you're a player. Yep. Um, some people like wouldn't consider themselves players, but the message that it gives your kids, even if you don't consider yourself a player, yep. it's still like, if you can do that while they're around, because they'll do what they see. Right. So you're providing that, that model. Yep. And it, it doesn't have to be a player either. You know, it, it could be writers. It could be score study. Um, I think it's important for students to see you doing the preparation that you do to teach and to be a, a musician in a music mm -hmm. community. Um, how, same thing in middle school? So I've never, I, I teach middle school students. I've never been in a full-time middle school uh, position. I taught the band at our middle school for a while. And I do a jazz group at our middle school, but yeah, it, it, it's, everybody's responsibilities are different. You know, uh, you might have bus duty in the morning and, you know, mm -hmm. middle school is also different because oftentimes kids are out the door after school. It can be different than high school. So it, I, I suppose it would depend on your situation. You know, I have two thoughts. Okay. I forgot one of them. Um, okay. So <laughs> one of them was we were, my wife and I were visiting Linda Gammon. I don't know if you know that name. No. Um, she was down in Fairfax County. Yeah. And we had a personal friend of hers, Rachel Carson Middle School. They've been to Midwest a couple of times. Yeah. Anyway, the bus 
every school, every kid in the school had to take the bus. Yeah. It's like how the school was wired. And the bus drop off, drop off pickup was right outside the band room. So literally, you'd see like 200 kids walk through the band room, through the, the instrument storage place. They have to go there to get yeah. to get to the bus. And then they pick up their horn and they get on the bus. Right. And she always had like party rock anthem or something yes. like this happy Friday kind of music. Um, and then she'd walk through afterwards. Oh, there's two flutes left. Darn, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think of that with the middle school, like having to leave. but. You can still set that, you know, she found a way to get them to have to go through there, yeah. get their horns, but that's, that's kind of a brilliant. special situation, but I don't know how she, she did that. That's but um, the other thing I was thinking about is we're here at the Jazz Allstate and Doug Owens is the other person I think about like this, but I think about this as you as well. Yeah. We were talking about middle school level. Right. Um, like you have the ability and I'm not here to float your boat or anything, but you, you can teach sort of any level of musicians, sort right? <laughs> so you're also humble, which is why I like you. Um, so like you can stand in front of a pro group and make them better and work, work with college. Obviously you work with high school typically, but you can also spend the time with a sixth grade honor band mm -hmm. and you seemingly are equally as comfortable in front of all levels. Now, I don't know if that's a facade and there's really, is there like a level that you feel like is your niche, like high school because you do that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what my niche is for teaching. Okay. You know, I think it more depends on the material I'm teaching. If I feel really comfortable with the material, then I feel really comfortable um, teaching it. Yeah. You know, um, but the other thing is that I have a hard time teaching until I know who I'm teaching, which this kind of, and this sort of gets back to the community thing, right? Um, if I do an honors ensemble, I'm always sort of awkward and stiff at first because I don't, I don't know the people. And I have to work really hard at learning about who I'm teaching and what their tolerances are, you know, just like mm -hmm. musically attention wise, where do they come from? You know, what kind of, uh, how do they react to humor? Cause I'm pretty goofy, you know, and are they going to, this crazy old man. And so it, until I know the students, I, whatever age, I don't really feel comfortable doing what I like to do. Mm -hmm. Same is true. I have adult, a lot of adult private students and I do a summer jazz history class. It's all adults. I've been doing it for 13 years. And I, I mean, seriously, the first couple of classes are kind of weird because I, I don't know them yet and I don't really know how to access them yet. Um, so it really is about knowing the people for me. Yeah. So, cause there's some people you say, Oh yeah, they're great, but don't put it in front of middle school kids. Yeah. Or they're great in middle school, but yeah. don't put them at, you know what I mean? Like right. we can think about that. And, but it's just like that versatility kind of fascinates me, yeah. you know, like the ability to kind of, I don't want to say lower your level. Cause it's not, it's just a different animal when you're right. dealing with like, like a fifth grade band, like getting in front of them and making them better. Yeah. Somebody else who could do that was Trey Blanco yeah. director of bands at Butler. Like he came and worked with our seventh graders once and he was fantastic. Yeah. You know, like a college band director who can work with a middle school band. Like that's amazing. So right. I'm just, so you talk about getting to know the people as like that helps you get comfortable with mm -hmm. it. Um, you think there's any other things that maybe you do naturally or things that Doug does well that like are practical things that people could maybe take to help. Like to me, it's like, don't get intimidated yeah. by a different level. Like right. I live high school. I can be in high school and it's fine. Right. If I go to a middle school, I just have to realize these are high schoolers, but like three years ago. Yeah. Right. They're people. They're just people. Um, or if you go to sit in front of a college group, 
They're just yeah. people, right? It, I know what you mean, though. It is. There are times when I feel intimidated, you know, it, especially if you're at a collegiate festival and it's a great band and you walk up. What the heck am I going to say? What am I going to say to these guys? But More hi-hat. Yeah, but I mean, we're all working on the same things and we, we all have ears and we can all say things in different ways that affects people, you know. Um, there is one thing, though, to answer your question. It, this is a funny reference, and it's one that you know, but it's made a big impact on me. It's a book called Teach Like a Champion. Mm-hmm. Do you know this book? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Oh, it's great. But on the level issue that you just mentioned, uh, Tom Lazat, uh, retired from Cape uh, High School, fabulous teacher in Maine. He's revered uh, and elsewhere, too. He introduced the book to me. Anyhow, the book is really geared towards elementary teaching, classroom teaching, and it has techniques, classroom management, how to ask questions, how to get people in and out of your room in an effective way, how to use every moment of time effectively. And I read the book thinking, yeah, this is going to work great for for elementary school kids. And then just for fun, I tried it out at my in my high school mm-hmm. and it works unbelievably well. And I'm like, well, okay, that's cool. At the time I was doing adjunct at USM. I wonder if I could do this with college kids. And it works amazingly well. So like what? Give us an example. So, okay. Now this sounds really boring. And again, this is not every style, but the routine of entering a room and beginning a rehearsal, you know, especially for your band kids who are coming in every day. So our first day of actual band um, at Freiburg Academy, I meet the kids outside. And I say, okay, you know, I don't even know a lot of the kids yet. I mean, the middle school kids, I know there's a lot of new kids. And all right. So the first thing you do is you drop, I I call the place where they put their phones. We call it the special place. All right. Number one, put your phone in the special place. Say that. Put my phone in the special place. Okay. Number two is look at the whiteboard to see what rehearsing. Say that, you know, and, you know, so we go through the whole, all the steps of, so we have a really old building and it. It's hard to get. It's quirky. It's quirky. Super right? quirky. You got to get in this hallway to get your instrument. So we've got to move fast, you know. So I'll give them five steps to get set up for rehearsal. And then I'll have them repeat them to me four or five times. And then I'll say, okay, on your mark, get set, go. And I'll time them. And it will take like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And and they get ready to play. I'm like, now let's do that again. <laughs> Put their instruments away. Because we have a routine to get out of the building. And we'll do it three or four times. And by the fourth time, you would think the high school kids are like, I'm out of here. They like get into the competition. It. They get yeah. into it. Yeah. Like, Mr. Sikash, I know we can do it in, in a minute. So it, that's a silly example, but that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, like I do this I, it's a little differently, but like the first day, they don't just walk in. Right. You meet them out front. Yeah. You set the expectation for how they're going to enter the room. and. But it's the it's the competitive part of it and yeah. over and over again. That's cool. Um, you know, sometimes, so when I cut off the band, like if I want to speak, I just stop conducting and I don't do anything else. I won't say anything. And I just wait for them to stop. And I won't, I won't say guys quiet, you know, anything like that. And then when they finally are quiet, like, you know, the, the middle school band does that in about 30 seconds. It takes you guys a minute and a half. And again, I think that's going to flop. But it may, it actually makes mm-hmm. an impact, sure. And you save so much time, like and effort. You know, I remember um, Chris White from University of Maine came down to guest conduct our band, and he walks into rehearsal, a typical high school 
mayhem before band, you know. And he steps up to the podium, which is actually just a rug in our school. And he steps onto the rug and the room goes, wow, I pay a million dollars for that. <laughs> and, you know, they're just normal kids, but the routine and it became a fun thing. It was never something I had to hound them about. Yep. And then you have to be consistent. You have to do it exactly the same way every single time you rehearse. Well, if you can think of them as boundaries too, like you, yeah. you telling them those boundaries. They, I heard the example once of, you're in like a city. They gave the, this school. They said, if you had kids just go outside and play and they're fourth graders, but you're in this busy city, right. they'd be super apprehensive about what to do. And But the minute you put that fence where they're allowed to do, then they'll go explore every section they have of that right. of that play yard. So giving them that structure really gives them the freedom to then kind of make the space their own because they know what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and again, I think you, the better you know your kids and the better that they understand your expectations, the easier everything is. Because um, th then there are, you know, unique situations with students who have needs and, and just knowing all that in, in advance makes things um, function so, so much easier. Would you agree with the phrase that says um, you give permission for anything that happens in your room? Like you're in your room and kids are in rehearsal or whatever, and yeah. you're letting stuff happen that maybe you, that you're giving permission for everything. Right, right. It's on you. So if there's something you don't want to have happen, it's yeah. happening because you're letting it happen. Right. Um, absolutely, I agree with that. You know, some other little things in this book too, uh, just the way you set your room up. When I set up my band, and this is, everybody knows this stuff, I, I feel, but it's been so <laughs> powerful. Um, in my band for rehearsal, there's an aisle right down the middle of the band. You have that too? There's, I don't, but there's some people listening who've never heard that before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it changed my life because usually, so I have flutes and clarinets in the first row and now it's flutes with one chair between them with nobody. And you're like, well, it'd be nice to connect them. But then every row has that. And of course, you know, there are days when the kids don't watch all that well anyway, but I step off the podium and I'm just. I'm just kind of walk, walking around listening. And here's the important thing. I can walk right back to the percussion yep. and be right there. And it, it changed my life. And getting off the podium is yes. really huge. Yeah, A lot of people, like they're on it. And if if you're not conducting or making, like you always have to be directing it. But if you're off the podium 75% of the time, yeah. helping them as the band's playing and doing all the stuff and rehearsing them like you would maybe a quartet, only it's 40 kids or something. Yeah. Then when you go on the podium and you actually conduct, they, they I think they watch better too. Absolutely. So I, I I really recommend checking out that book. It and you can get it in video version. I know it sounds like an advertisement for this book, but it it made such an impact. <laughs> Teach like a champion. Who's the who's the author? Right. I don't recall. Hold on, I'll look it up. <laughs> Doug Lamoff. Doug Lamoff. Yeah, Doug Lamoff. Yeah. You can get it in video version too, which is great because it has videos embedded. You can watch classrooms and so forth. Super cool. Yeah. So don't be intimidated about like okay. getting out of your comfort zone, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Like, hey, will you come work with the middle school band? Half the high school teachers would be like, no. <laughs> like, they scare me, you know? Yeah. They're just people. They are people. And there are differences, granted. I mean, I do feel like I shift into a different energy with middle school than I do with high school, than I do with college, you know, and then pacing is so... Different. So different. And and your what you accept tonally is so different too. Yes. And yeah. So many middle school teachers think they can't even go clinic a high school because they're like, well, they're so much better than any band I've ever had. 
Well, yeah, but you just have to listen to different things. Yeah. You're not listening for the same things. You're just kind of like fine tuning what you're listening to. And, you know, the other thing is. But high, high school kids can't count either. No. So. <laughs> or college kids. Which yeah. is the very hardest thing in the world to teach is counting. But, um, yeah. So the other thing I was thinking about um, when you were talking about different age groups and the other thing, I, I passed this sheet out to every kid in every ensemble. And it's just called rehearsal etiquette. And, you know, yes, you're teaching middle school. Yes, you're teaching high school and college. But I, one of the things I say to the students, and not in a luxury kind of way, I say that part of becoming a musician is learning the etiquette of rehearsal. What do musicians do? Things good things good musicians do. Good musicians yeah. do. And you know, I tell I tell them. So you know, there are high school students, and I'm sure the same is true of you too, that have graduated, gone on, that I've called in, you know, for gigs and and that whole thing. And I frame it as you know, I I want you to be my first call when you graduate and you go off and, and you do whatever you do in life and you're still a musician and I'm going to call you. And part of the reason for that call is mu- your musicianship. Mm-hmm. But the other part is how you work in a musical situation. And it's, of course, it's 10 things and I won't go through them all, but you know, a lot of the obvious things that we all know about bringing a pencil and have all your mutes and all that kind of thing. But things like be aware of everything that is happening in the room all the time. You know, be aware of everything that is happening. Not just the teaching up front. You just have to be aware of everything that's happening. Uh, things like look engaged. <laughs> Even if you're not, you know, look engaged. Mm. Because the person in front of you cares deeply about what they're what they're bringing to you. You may not in the moment. That's okay. You know, some days kids come in, there's other stuff going on. But look like you're engaged. And everybody around you is going to be affected. Um, there's things in there about, you know, listening to your trio. So mm-hmm. if you're in a band, you know, you're you're keying into the people who may be around you. But anyhow. Um, and just if your band plays something like simple, like a five note scale. Right. And they kind of sound not great. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Nope. Listen within your trio. You do it again. And it's like they just matured three years. Right. It's amazing. And I feel like it, that's that's something that. You know, that's a middle school thing. That's a high school thing. That's a college thing. That's a pro thing. Oh, listening to other people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's well, right. Just the rehearsal etiquette. Yeah. Piece, okay. You know? And then a simple thing, you know, in high schools, like in our school, everybody's got to have their phone in a special place anyway. But then the after school rehearsals, I don't do that. But the kids know through rehearsal etiquette, never have a, a cell phone on the music stand ever. You know, and I know that some people do and they do it fine and pros do it. But I, I'm like, if you came through Freiburg Academy, never put your phone on a music stand. Just don't do it. Yeah. Um, I have a, a slightly different angle of something I do very similar with. Yeah. I do a sheet because we have two groups, concert band and one ensemble. So I have this sheet that I, I've made up. It's super colorful and yeah. all that. But it's like, um, what's it called? Our, when ensemble students do. Or when ensemble students are, yeah. because like at some point with our concert band kids, they're going to get recommended to either stay in concert band and keep improving, or maybe right. they're ready for that next group. It's not, it's the first time in their five years that it's not just, okay, now I'm in seventh grade band. Right. Now it's like, there's a choice as to where we recommend them for. And it's things like take credit. I can take criticism. Yeah. Like I'm looking to grow. Um, I can play my 12 scales. Right. You know, it's like these things that, used to be just understood, 
But now I can pass out this super colorful flyer to every kid. Yeah. Right. And be like, I want you to circle two things that are like your jam. Like, you know, you're so good at. And some of them are not musical things. Yeah. You know, it's like listening to others when I play or whatever. And uh, like play the range of my instrument, whatever that means for them at the time. Right. Right. Um, And then I'd be like, okay, now put a box around one. That's like a big goal of yours. Right. Right. Getting them to kind of reflect. So then when we give them those recommendations, Mm. we can be like, here's sort of why. Right. Based on this, you do these things really well. And that's why we want to. Or if they say, well, I think I should be recommended for this next band, but you didn't recommend me. Okay. So let's talk about what on this. So you show me. And then sometimes that like lights the fire for them to, okay. So if you practice a lot more right now, I would recommend you, but you don't practice. Right. And um, so that's kind of another way to kind of do this things good musicians do. And mm-hmm. it kind of helps motivate our our kids or at least give them the reasons why what we're, what we're looking to do. And, and it reminds our one ensemble kids like, Oh, I'm supposed to be that. Yeah. Crap. Okay. <laughs> well, and I look at my little list too. I'm like, Ooh, I gotta be careful. I'm kind of, I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> no four scales. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the things I was thinking about reflecting on where I'm teaching and so forth, um, one of the challenges, the huge challenges that I have, you know, I want to get to know the students as best I can. And it's so hard in the space of band, you know. Um, the other challenge is we probably all feel this way. There's so many things that are out there happening in the room. You know, you know that this clarinet player needs help with articulation and this person needs help with that and this person needs help with that. And it's so hard because you can't get to all that in rehearsal. Um, and we're also in a situation in Freiburg and a lot of people are like this. There's, there's not a lot of private teachers around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I teach some saxophone and some clarinet. There's only so many kids I have. So um, our band rehearsals have changed so much in the last 10 years. Cause I used to be like rep, 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 concert, 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 festival, festival. And I really have changed my thinking to my goal is to teach them how to play their instruments. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds so corny, but, um, it's true. You know, we talk about in rehearsal, every practice session should have these four pieces. There should be long tones. There should be scales. There should be technique. Um, and with each, and then there should be music within that music. There should be sight reading. There should, you know, we, we go through all that, but the thing I, I've, I've, it's hard to do because you see that concert coming up, you know, and like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Especially if you don't over-program. Yeah. Well, I do that too. We all, <laughs> we all fall into that. Over-program. But, yeah. you know, um, taking, I probably take twice as much time just playing with the kids, teaching them how to practice and how to warm up and just doing it every single time. Cause I know they're not going to get it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes so much patience and sometimes I lose sleep. So here's the, here's like the balancing act yes. because so I was, at, I watched a school in Virginia once and I, w- I was just observing and they're a huge band. I'm not going to yeah. mention the name of the band. They were going to be going to the Rose bowl. Like it's a, wow. a it was a, a really huge and you sit down and you watch your win ensemble within 30 seconds. When they started, you can tell they're completely checked out because they had wow. exactly the same warm up every single class. Wow. It was like they started 
here's our 15 minute routine. And it was like just their routine. I know of another teacher who their entire warm up, this is kind of old school, was a concert A flat major scale mm-hmm. in two octaves, double whole notes, mm-hmm. eight beats per. So however long that takes to do, and that was the that was the warm up. Mm-hmm. But those like warm ups that never vary. So you hear people say like, yes, you need to warm up the same concepts in kind of the same way, but if you're too predictable, the kids tune you out. Yeah. So how can you like create these like you want to do all these things you're talking about? But you also want to change it so the kids don't just know what to expect every class. And that's a, I don't think there's an answer to that, but it's something that people should be thinking about. Yeah, I I think um, I I totally agree with you. You you need to go through certain paces. You know, um, one of the things that I tell the students to, and again, I'm going to reiterate, I don't ask them to do anything that I don't do. So everything I'm doing, I'm practicing. This is how I practice. I tell them I get bored practicing the same way every time, but I know that I need to play some long tones. So we, we do it different all the time. I will say, and this is a plug and you didn't ask me to do this, but your warm up book is awesome. Um, yeah. It's got this amazing warm up book. It is um, totally not copyright. Okay. Cleared or anything. I mean, people can reach out to me if they want to okay. get a copy of it. That's fine. But I think it's great. Thank there's, you. It, there's a lot in it and that allows for diversity. And I love to vary our warm-ups with reading and non-reading. We do more non-reading warm-ups than anything else, more ear stuff. Um, and that you can vary really easily. So the kids usually walk in, sit down, we go through our paces. Hopefully I, ha- I haven't made them go outside the building and come back in again. Maybe I did. Um, and I almost always have an instrument in my hands and then I will just play something. And they play it. You're fingering a trumpet. Is that a thing? It'll be whatever. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because um, we just started a new term and I have three beginning trumpet players in a band of uh, students. Some, I've got some, you know, first chair clarinet players, all state. And then sitting right next to him is someone who just began playing the clarinet. So do you like write new parts for them sometimes? Yes. Like, um, even if the music you're playing doesn't have a third clarinet that's playable, right. you're going to write a fifth clarinet yes, part. And it's all A's and B's. But yeah. And it probably looks like a French horn part. Yep. Um, but no, I have three new trumpet players in the band. So every day this past week, I've got a trumpet in my hand and I just play a phrase. They play it back to me. You know, um, is that an, a, a daily thing? The call and response thing? Almost every day. Almost every day. And you can do anything with that. Right? I just want to highlight that because a lot of people do that in the jazz side of things. And yeah. some don't, but should like copy me developing their ears, but doing that in yeah. one ensemble concert band is equally as productive. And you can, you can seed any concept into that idea. Um, we just started Michelle Fernandez uh, uh, of uh, endless miles and empty rafts. We're working on it too. Yeah. Yeah. So there are these nice syncopated rhythms in there. So, you know, the kids came in and I'm concert B flat D B better you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason the trumpet so they can watch my fingers. And then sometimes this is a band directors, if you want a great challenge as you get older and you need to exercise your mind. The other day I had saxophone, because I have a new saxophone player, and I'm playing um, saxophone with my left hand fingerings, and I'm trying to finger <laughs> show the trumpet players anyhow. Um, yeah, it was challenging, but uh, so we always 
we usually do some kind of call and response to, to get things going. And that's great for your percussion because you can make it rhythmically interesting enough that they're engaged. You can either have them do some kind of a clock pattern or some kind of rudiment in time, or you can have them call and respond. The call and respond is good for percussion because they suck at quarter notes and yeah. half notes. Yeah. They'll play like all the notes in the world. The minute you get to a quarter note, they move on. Yeah. It's like, no, give it a beat. Just because they're not subject. Anyway. Um, so get this one. This one's fun too, because I, I like to be, uh, you know, I like to be predictable in certain ways, very predictable. They know what the expectations are. They know, you know, when to start, when they can have fun, when they need to reverse. Um, but I like to be unpredictable in what we do from day to day. So some days I'll have the entire band set up in a big circle, right? Our room is big enough to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'll come in in the first person that sits down, I'll say, sit anywhere you want. And I'll have this preloaded, I'll teach them like, boom, 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 boom. boom. I just keep playing that. Another person comes in, boom, 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 boom. And then flute comes in, just keep playing that. And then everybody's coming in and this thing just builds, builds and builds. And then somebody's comfortable improvising, you know, I'll, I'll pull them out. And it doesn't have to be a, a jazz or a Latin or in anything, you know, you just build this huge chorus of, of stuff and it's a great long tone warm up and chance for them to hear each other and have fun. I've done that sometimes, you know, my intentions to do it as a warm up, and we'll do it for the entire, you know, 45 minute rehearsal. We won't do anything but that. And I won't say a single word. And then we end. I'm like, all right, see you tomorrow. Because they're just like, <laughs> But there's something about that trance that you get in, especially if it's a repetitive yeah. thing. I don't know if you've heard, this is a, a segue, but yeah. um, Dan Buckfitch, do you know that? I don't know the name. Um, University, what's the state? Idaho. Mm -hmm. And he's a great composer. People can find a yeah. bunch of his music out there. Um, anyway, he wrote this super wild piece called Unusual Behaviors and in Ceremonies Involving Drums. I'll say it again. Unusual Behaviors and in Ceremonies Involving Drums. Okay. We, we have it. Yeah. Um, it was based on a study, like an academic research paper called Unusual Behaviors and in Ceremonies Involving Drums. <laughs> and what they did is they this person did this paper and this study on these tribes in Africa who would do like these 24, 48-hour drum circles. Yeah. And they would never stop playing. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have to use the bathroom. They wouldn't get hungry. They wouldn't get tired. It was all about like the neurological stuff that happened in the brain. Yeah. So Dan Buckfitch writes this 20 minute piece and there's four movements that start with P and I'm going to forget them because I'm not prepared for this paradiddle paradigm pandemonium and uh, pulse or something like that. Yeah. And it's super wacky and crazy, but a lot of it is that groove based stuff. And I, I guess I segue to that because it's a really cool piece. And if people haven't heard it, they should check it out. Terry White heard it once. He's like, it sounds like we're on the planet Mars right now. But it like kids with like horns taken apart and going through the audience with hosophones. And I like it's it's super wild. But that whole thing of like, yeah, if you can, if you can keep them playing, yeah. you're talking about in a groove base, but like even if you can keep them mentally doing something all the time, and then you know when you've had a really good rehearsal, because mm -hmm. you say, Okay, see you later, guys. And we're like, wait, it's time to go already. And you're like, Yes, yeah, I got that one. Yeah. It, at first the I can't do that a ton because the kids, you know, it's a, an occasional thing, but um, you just go with it. If it's, if it's happening that it's day, happening. you just go with it. And if it's not, okay, let's move on, you know, and then you can like bring people out and bring sections back in again. And you can whisper, you know, harmonize that if it's a more advanced and they might 
Two warm-up things that I just are on my mind right now. One, yeah. you can actually give them a grade for how they warm up in band. Yeah. Like, okay, the five minutes when you get, when you sit, for me, the bell rings, you have five minutes to be not only in the room set up, but like that's your warm up, and you you've ta- taught them what you want them to do for like personal warm up before you begin, right? right? Some of my groups I do that, some I don't. But you can also say, you know, yeah, one of the grades you're getting for this month is how you're warming up. Right. Now you're not actually going to hear all, but you can really see if a kid's screwing off or not. Yeah. Um. So that helps motivate them. The second thing, and Jeff Priest laughed at me when I told him to do this. I said. I, my kids would just come in and play like two notes and thought they were warmed up. So I literally put on the board, this was maybe 10 years ago. I said, play 1000 notes before we start. I put, I said, I'm just going to try this. I just wrote it on the board. I love it. We were the Chicago symphony. Yeah. I mean, the little, 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 like there was all this stuff happened. I was like, this is amazing. So I went to Jeff at the next festival. And I'm like, dude, you got to try this. Yeah. He's like, are you serious? I'm not doing that. That's so stupid. We're so good. Yeah. He went home and tried it. He's like, it's amazing. I'm doing it. He's Monday. just right <laughs> to play 1,000 <laughs> notes or 500 to pick them. And it was like, they are so ready to go. Yeah. Just giving them like that concrete. It's silly, but now uh, if I did it every day, it wouldn't work. I, it, one of the things I try really hard too is, if, you know, when you start rehearsal, it's crazy because whether it's big band or band, wind ensemble or orchestra or whatever, the kids are usually coming at you and they need this, they need that. And I try and you know, preload all that stuff so that when they come in the door, I can be warming up. And I really like that. So especially if it's not your native instrument. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a saxophone player. I play woodwinds. I, I can play woodwinds pretty well, but pretty well. <laughs> my uh, my trombone playing's pretty good. My euphonium's pretty good. My French horn's okay. My trumpet playing's not good. So like if I'm gonna have a trumpet in my hand in front of rehearsal, I need I need I really need to warm up. And they're and they're walking in the door and you know, and they see that. And I, you know, just like I was saying earlier, you know, when when I practice, I try and do my warm-up in the building when kids are coming. Yeah. I don't I'm not trying to impress them. I'm just, hey, this is what I do every day. But I I try and do that when rehearsal's beginning, and then they tend to do they kind of do the same thing. They just sort of you know you, you can thing. play a game when you do that too. Yeah. Do you meet them like as they're coming in the door or are you in the room when they come in? I'm in the, I'm in the room. Yeah. Sit in the chair, ready to go. One thing I'll do sometimes, cause I, I like to meet them out front, but I also warm up. Yeah. So I'll start on a low F sharp on trumpet Yeah. and every kid gets a high five or whatever. Yeah. So I'll first kid, I'll play F sharp next kid. G That's next kid. A, and there's like 40 kids. Yeah. So you get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm like trying to play high C, C sharp. And it just makes it funny. Right. Um, you could also do that on a Remington. Duh. Yeah. when you give a high five i'm going to move to the next note yeah. it just kind of makes it like they're playing you and you're warming up it's just kind of like a goofy way to enter the room but it's engaging oh of course the kids go in the gym they have nothing to do with band think you're just stupid <laughs> i don't care it's yeah it's funny oh my god that's really awesome yeah so we we've done all kinds of crazy things with the warm-ups um i think that's like the golden time i with your individual practicing too you know like that's when you learn to be a musician that's when you learn how to play your and it's got to be in the right proportion right because some of us especially as young teachers we'll, we'll warm up for an hour yeah We're like we only got 20 minutes left like you got to see from the kids eyes yeah so you have to like what is there like a ratio I, a quarter I, of this rehearsal a I, third i think there is kind of a voodoo there of um some teachers have it some teachers work work on it but reading the room and 
it comes back to the thing on the list that I have. Be aware of everything that's happening in the yeah. room. Like be aware, you know, there's some teachers who just have this ability to read the room and they know immediately when they pass the point of no return mm -hmm. and they shift so that they're still being productive. And there's some teachers who may sense that and may not choose. And then sometimes you just got to get things done. Yeah. But if you have the luxury to shift, you shift. Um, but you, I, you know, I think if you present things in the right way with the right energy, you can go pretty far down a path, you know, bef before the kids, you start to lose them. And sometimes you can shift or they think you've shifted. Yeah. And do a different activity, but you're still working on that same concept. Yeah. You're just going to approach it in some other manner. Yeah. You know, so something else I want to come back to, if it's okay. Um, we are talking about that. We started off talking about the, the community music community thing. Um, this is sort of related to what we're talking about. Uh, one of the things in the past couple of years, by hearing what kids do outside of rehearsal, I've been a lot more open to instrument, new instrumentation in all of the groups, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we've never had a string program, a school string program at Freiburg. Um, and we're just starting to have a very small program. We have an after, a very small after-school orchestra. Sometimes it's eight, sometimes it's 12. Um, and that's been great. And last year I had two violinists who wanted to audition for the big band. And I'm really open to big band instrumentation. I'm like, how am I going to use violins? You know, and we worked it, and not everything works, but we worked really hard to incorporate them. And it was this wonderful thing. And then a bunch of kids in the program said, Well, I actually play violin. I know I'm playing trumpet in band. And I'm like, oh God. And I'm what like, have I started? I need you. Where's my band? <laughs> but now, so now this year in band, I have three violins, two cellos, and two um double basses. Mm -hmm. And the band sounds amazing. Yeah. Like beautiful. And I'm, I'm it adds like it. a another texture to it. It's a whole other, uh, it's a whole other, yeah, exactly. Texture. And if I can call, if I know the composers, I'll ask them, you know, I'll say, uh, do you mind if I add these string parts to what you've written? And and I'll make string parts and it doesn't take forever. Uh, but it's been really neat. So for somebody who's, because you're an established arranger and composer and all that. So like for people who are not, how would they say, okay, I have a violin in yeah. this ensemble. What do I actually make them? What do I have them play? What do I have them cover? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's an easy, an easy entry point just to get the person in the room. Like you have somebody that comes up to them. I'm guessing that most high school programs where we live are not going to have a plethora of oboe players. So I'll, I'll give my violinist the oboe part and I'll give my cellist the bassoon part. And if you want, you can just like, before you give it to them, you just yep. white out oboe and you write so they don't violin. Know. They don't they know. know. Yeah. Um, and then if, if it gels and it works, then I'll create parts. And um, with the violin, it, it's surprising. They, they project more than you think they would. In fact, I spend more time. Easy, easy. Uh, it's amazing how much sound two or four violins can generate. It's, I've got my violin sitting right behind the flutes and, and they can be heard very well. Mm. Um, but sometimes what I'll do is if I, if there's passages that I want, it depends on my band. If I, if I'm weak on clarinets and there's some melodic or harmonic material I want, I'll, I'll put that into the violin parts and I'll always do it as a score. So I'm just in, and I'm constantly sort of 
working it until I find just the right amount of material mm -hmm. where they get some time to be heard as a section, but they're also strengthening other sections. Um, if you have violas, violas and tenor sax together are absolutely gorgeous. Unison, viola, and tenor sax is beautiful. But you got to write the part. You got to write the part. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, and it is, right. And you have to decide, is that something I want to do? Um, yes, yeah. it is. It should be. It should be. Um, cello's great. It depends on the strength of your players. It's a wonderful bass double. Um, pairs up great. It sounds like we're talking about wines. <laughs> great with trombones. But my favorite, uh, my favorite pairing is is mid-register cello and euphonium mm. is just to die for because euphonium has this way of just carrying and filling the room. But cello has a little bit of ictus on the bow. And you put those together and you get the sustain and the resonance, and it's just gorgeous. Mm. Um, so that's been really fun. And now this year in the big band, again, I've got two more violinists who saw the kids last year. And we're playing some like traditional swing stuff. We're doing um, doozy, Terry White's doozy. Mm -hmm. And I that's called, a great chart. I called Terry and I said, it's you feel free to say no, but can I add two violins, flute, and clarinet? And a partridge and a pear tree. And he, and he said, Yeah, okay. And um he'll, I think he's gonna hear it next week. So fingers crossed. So and one thing that Terry's really good at is he wants the music that he writes to work for your band because every band is different. Right. So I think a lot of composers are that way. Not all of them, but. Yeah. And it's interesting because last year we had the violins and then another band director called me and said, my kids saw the violinist and now they want to play. So either something really bad has just happened or it could be good. Um, um, what are they doing? What are those violin players doing on Doozy? Are they um, trumpet parts? Are they saxophone parts? Every, every, all of the above. So okay. I, I basically look at look at the score. What do we need? How do I fill out the band? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I found that um, eighth note swing passages, clarinets and violins is tough to pull off because of the, the swing articulation in saxophone. It's hard to put on a violin. They can play it, but it doesn't swing. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, or it's really hard, at least yeah. with, with what we found. Um, I love two violins, um, unison with first and second trumpet, as long as it's not too high. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, solo backgrounds, the sky's the limit. Uh, violin goes down to a low G, so a trombone one or two. Trombone kind of one and two. It's it's really you know very um, transferable. Um, a lot of Cuban in Brazilian music sounds just awesome. Um, in fact, one chart and I got permission to do this. We did this chart and there is a section where I just let the band drop out and it was just the strings playing this Montuno and it was it was just beautiful. So. So yeah, there's a lot of possibilities. Um, and as soloists, you know, they're very, you know, a violinist can get around the instrument just like anybody else and, and easily. And, and yeah, and that's people who judge or don't judge. Like I haven't judged any of your bands before, right? I haven't yeah. been in that position. But right. if some, if I know if I'm going to see a Freiburg group, I know that you've taken whatever that group of kids you have who are in there and you've sort of manipulated the situation to fit them right. what you felt was the best for them. Right. You're not just saying, okay, we're doing grooving hard and I'm going to try to get this band to do that. Right. right. You're like, you take what you have and then you, you're willing to change course a little bit along the way to try to just make the best product possible with the kids that are, are in your, your program. Yeah. I mean, it really com it comes down to the kids. It's having kids come to you who want to play. And what do you do when a violinist says, I really want to play in the big band. Yeah, I just, I can't say no. You know, if they play well and, and 
they're willing to put the work in. I want yeah. to make it work. What's hard for me is when a kid comes up and like, oh, I used to play cello. Yeah. That that's that's awesome. I'd love to have you. Do you own a cello? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't own a cello. Are you willing to play something that we have, like violin sure. yeah. or upright bass? No, I want to play cello. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have one for you. Yeah. Um, and then inevitably it's like they don't really like they want to do it right now, but they don't, they're not willing to, you know what I, it's like, sometimes the kids come to you, but like, oh, but I played for a year about seven years ago, Yeah. but I want to play cello, but I don't have one, but I need you to give me one. I don't care if you don't have one or not. It's like, well, and, and there's the other part of that is it's happened to me. That's why I'm oh, yeah. clearly I like, <laughs> but when they come to you and they actually own the instrument yeah. or they want to like, cause the clear one is like, but we have upright bass. Like if you have some training, that's what's sitting here. You could do yeah. like sometimes that happens, but sometimes it doesn't. It, it, the other thing too, is we don't all know how to teach all of these instruments. I, mm -hmm. I'm not a string teacher and I, I'm very upfront with the kids. You know, the violinist that I have is look, I have, you know, I'm, I'm a wind teacher. I, I in some percussion. So I, I can provide you very little in the way of technical advice and they know that coming in um but there's help everywhere i mean there's string players that i've brought in to help us out youtube youtube is I mean, pretty good right um and the other thing too i want to say is i'm not trying to um change the tradition of big band for example you know we still do straight ahead stuff with your original yeah. instrumentation um but it's just good to be open to trying new things as well yeah i mean you just you just highlight the kids that you have right? Right. especially if Especially if it's like, okay, I only have three, three trombones. Like yeah. you try to fill out another, you just do what you can do. And right. yeah, you might be lucky enough sometime to be like, okay, I have two bands. And if you're a, somebody who does something that's less traditional, we're going to play you in the second band. But if yeah. you're really good, like you're dumb to not feature that kid or have them in the first band. So, right. You know, it, the other thing about new instruments, the, the big challenge for me now is, um, I talked about kind of getting to know the kids and understanding what they do. Well, um, I've got a student who's practicing after school the other day and uh, she was playing piano. She goes, you know, I said you play really well. You know, you, you've got all this repertoire down. I said, well, this is really what I do. I said, what do you really do? I play harp. Shut up. So <laughs> you play harp? Yeah. So she's going to bring it in next week. Um, she's been playing harp for like 10 years, this kid. And now, I'm, and she's like, I really like jazz. I don't know. Can you play Freddie Green on harp? Is that possible? I don't know. Can you go chink, chink, chink? So I asked her, I don't know if she listens to Alice Coltrane, but now I'm, I'm scratching my brain. I'm like, how am I going to incorporate harp? I don't know if that's going to work or not. <laughs> Maybe she'll stay on piano. Wow. Yeah. I don't know enough about harp. No. All I think of harp is like, like arpeggio stuff, you know? The pedals, the seven pedals. There's a yeah, lot too. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot I don't know. So I was telling you that one of my favorite big band charts is called Fat Cat. And so Fat Cat is Doug Beach chart. And mm -hmm. for people who don't know, I don't look down on any of that stuff at all, but it's all like contrafact. So based on original tunes, but sorry, based on standard tunes, but they're original tunes, yeah, right? right? So I am a teacher who tends to do more standard stuff to teach the history of the art and all that yes. but this chart is like my favorite grade one of my favorite grade too like if i have to do a middle school honor band because kids love it and it's written so well and yeah. um so like that's a chart we were just talking rep a little bit like yeah. um 
So I like Doug Beach a lot. I don't do a lot of his stuff, but that chart is like really up there for me. Yeah. Um, on the concert band side of things, um, Four Shaker Gift Songs um, by Frank DeKelly yeah. is just lovely. I mean, if you don't have a huge percussion section, it's a really great piece of music. Right. Um, Down a Country Lane by Copeland are oh, pieces yeah. that like, Beautiful. if you can find a way to get younger kids or any kids like to just play some of this amazing music. So like, what are some of those go-tos or things that you think are pieces that maybe you know that maybe aren't as popular or just things that that when you think of like pieces you just love to teach you know who uh composer i keep coming back to lately is sam hazel uh -huh. do you know sam hazel yeah. from pittsburgh yeah um recently we, we did um uh blue and green music mm. do you know this piece it's based on the georgia o'keefe yes yeah based on a painting and i love music that's inter interdisciplinary right um, another piece, uh, a more difficult piece. I don't, I know it might be great for, I'm not sure. Solus Ani, mm -hmm. you know this piece? It's a, like an easy four, yeah. Yeah. And it's just wonderful because it's lyrical, but there's tons of intense percussion. It, yeah. It's like that jig in the middle and on top has the woodwind jig on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, super cool. It's super cool. And it, when you get the, when I got the score, I was like, oh man, no way. But if it the, lays it does and if the kids get a spark from it they'll go after it you know i i really i was worried about that um, boom chick super cool yeah um of course i mentioned oh and oh boy i'm gonna you know i'm gonna forget the uh the arranger but you might know this uh so i love whole i've always loved we all love holes right yeah and every i always want to do jupiter <laughs> But we can never pull it off. And funny, um, I think it's Michael Sweeney. It probably is Michael Sweeney. Right? That's the answer to almost well, anything. Big. There's, a, there's a marching band arrangement out there. Uh -huh. And uh, we don't do a lot of marching at our school, but we do this fall performance at, at our big state fair. And I got this arrangement of Jupiter. And you'll have to check me if it might be Michael Sweeney. And every year, my, my concert band is like, can we play Jupiter? And they don't mean the original Jupiter. They mean this marching band arrangement, and uh, it's just fabulous. Um, some other things that I've really enjoyed. I'll tell you, I'm going to have him on the podcast. No yeah, Michael Sweeney. When is that going to happen? I think we're recording in February. That's great. Yeah. I want to hear that. <laughs> you said yes. <laughs> That's great. What is, is he low, relatively? No. Regional? It's going to be. A, no. Yeah, it's soon. Yeah. yeah. I'm just looking up the, the Jupiter Michael Sweeney. Yeah, uh, I could have I could have that I, wrong. I don't see it coming up right away, but I might, or Jupiter. Oh, Jay Boku, Eric Branchfield. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, don't know. We, we can do some research on that one <laughs> and and uh, and pull that up. By the way, anything Michael Sweeney is probably really good. Yeah, I, I agree for either one and three band or two and four band. Yeah, it's so good. Um. So some other things, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about band. Um, on the big band side of things, uh, I one of my favorite composers uh, is Thad Jones, but that music is so hard to um, to bring to multi-school bands. The voicings are tight, uh, but a lot of those have been rearranged. Do you know? Uh, Mike Carubia. Mike Carubia did those in keys that are a little better. Um, so in the on the big band side of things, just like on the band side of things, you I think you want your students to understand the history of the ensemble. Um, so we always, you know, we'll always do 
some standard rep and band. And then in the big band, no matter what we're playing at festivals and stuff, we always do some Ellington, we always do some Basie, and we always do some Thad Jones, those three. Um, and Thad, for me, was always the, the tough one. So I, I have almost all those Mike Carubia rearrangements of Thad, Thad charts. They're pretty tough. They're like three pluses, fours. Yeah, it, depending on the chart. I mean, they're not easy, um, but they're definitely... Yeah, don't think Sassy's not, not too bad. Um, Big Dipper, I think. What's the F Blues? Is that Big Dipper? It could be Big Dipper, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so we've been playing those on, on the Latin side, of course. We, we, I know we've talked a lot about Michelle Fernandez. I love her music. So well-written, so playable. Um, I play a lot of Michael Philip Mossman yeah. music. Uh, and that's a lot of people think that's all, you know, three and four, but there's some, there's some pretty playable stuff for middle schools. Um, the, one of my favorite little tunes is the cha-cha wakacha. Yeah. Michael, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so much fun to do that. Can I put out a plug for Michelle's new grade one, the Latin piece? What is it called? So I can't release the title yet because oh, okay. they've changed it at Hal Leonard, yeah. but it's being published soon and it's a legit grade one. Yeah. For jazz ensemble. No kidding. Yeah. Because so we're at Allstate. Michelle was here. You were at the, the at the, the dinner yeah, right, right. and my wife and her are talking and yeah. she's like, Michelle, I would love to do some of this authentic Latin stuff, but like, right. it's all too hard. I can't find anything that's a true grade one. Now, grade one for jazz band to me is like a grade two for concert band. But right. anyways, um, she said, yeah, because when you write, you start writing and like, it just, by the time you finish, you try it at a two and it ends up at a three and a half right? or whatever. So she's like, okay, I'm going to write you a chart. I'm going to write you guys a chart. It'll be for free. Right. So by June 1st, she goes, here's a chart. It's called me main mambo. And <laughs> so that's, that's what she titled it, but it's being, it's being changed yeah. for the publication, but people should be on the lookout for how Leonard, I think it's going to come out in 2023 um, because it's like a legit grade one. And what's great about it is like the, the, the percussion parts including drum set and everything are all literally written exactly how you want to play it. Mm -hmm. None of this like, Oh, kind of play this Latin groove. No, it's like play these notes and rhythms and you'll sound authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I need to look more into um, grade one and two jazz ensemble stuff. I, I tend to go right to um, for the younger groups. I tend to be teaching them like standard jazz tunes in more of a head chart kind of a yep. way. Um but I haven't done a lot of exploring of those charts. Can I do a quick plug? Yeah, do it. <laughs> so Terry and I put together um, episodes, I guess 109 to 115, yeah. whatever. They came out earlier this year. They were all grades between grade one and grade two and a half or three right. of right. jazz rep. It's like 50 charts. Yeah. And each one we talk about for a couple minutes and then we play and show the sound and score. It's on like a out. reading session on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I will check that. It's out. so good. Yeah. It's like really good. And you can skip like, like everybody listens. The grade one has like tons of views. Yeah. The grade three is like less. Cause like nobody needs it. Everybody <laughs> needs grade two. And that's so, a really good point. So yeah. it's, it's a whole like series. Okay. It's I good. Will, I'll definitely check that out. Um, some other things we've done. It's funny. Um, it's, so before I say that, uh, I, I wish there were someone out there. Maybe, you know, this doing like what my Caribbean did for um, Thad Jones someone doing that for Ellington because there's so, so much Ellington I'd love to do, but can't quite pull it off instrumentation wise. We, I have tons of Ellington and I'm not able to do it as much as I So would. what I would say is go to Pepper or um, 
what's it called? E-Jazz Lines, yeah. right? One of those. Yeah. And put in Ellington, like on Pepper, you can do Ellington and just put in Ellington, get them all. Yeah. And then select easy. Yeah. Because there's a ton of arrangements. Yeah, of course. Of stuff like that. So that's, yeah. it's not, I don't know if that's what you were mentioning or not, but like, for example, we talked about the caravan, Mike Sweeney, like oh, yeah, sure. it's caravan only, yeah. only for that grade level. Is that yeah. what you were referring to? Um, trying to capture the, the original arrangements. So take the original arrangements and adapt them in such a way that they're playable. Yeah. Usually there's one thing that, that makes it challenging. You need Lawrence Brown on the trombone or something yeah. like that. For sure. Um, other things, oh man, a chart that I just absolutely love that plays itself, but is when I can, it's fun to play the originals, right? Blue Five Jive we did last year. Mm-hmm. So much fun. From so the Kansas City Suite. Just swings. How does that melody go? Um, oh man, you said that. Now. <laughs> I'm trying to... Uh, that one yep yeah we just pulled that out of our brains there that's really really good um yeah and one thing that teachers talk about um aaron bush talks about this from foxborough like every chart they play Mm -hmm. he he chooses the charts based on the chord changes and the melodies Mm -hmm. and every chart they play before they work on the chart every kid has learned the head by ear oh that's great and the core, and they can like blow over a semblance of the chord changes. So yeah. some tunes you go, we're not doing that because the chord changes are super hard. Yeah. But like literally, you teach them the entire head. Everybody knows the melody. Yeah. And then you start working on the chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I I, I know I should do that. <laughs> we do it some. Um, you know what we do do pretty regularly. We haven't really talked about big band rehearsal that much, but um, usually when when the kids walk in the door the first thing we do is start with the solo section and play so like right now we're working on um well we're working on terry's doozy f blues f blues right um we're working on um do you know the bob mincer chart tribute no great chart um and it's got kind of a bluesy with a bridge sort of form but it's 32 bars it's long and you know that's the very first thing we'll do and then we'll do call and response over that i didn't even tell them what they're playing, yep. you know, and that, that's a great way to start getting into that. Cause I, I really like to dig into the solo section first. So they understand the form. Cause so many bands are burning. Yeah. They get to the solo section, like boring, yeah. boring. And then they're burning again. Yeah. So when you focus on that solo section at the beginning of rehearsal, you're, you know. Yeah. And it, I mean, it helps. It definitely helps. Um, I, it's funny. I, it's, it, what's odd is some years, you know, I do that a lot and I still don't have confidence in the soloists. Um, it just, it takes a long time. I think improvisation is the very hardest thing to teach. I just said rhythm was the hardest earlier. There's a lot of hardests. A lot of hardests. Because tone is really the hardest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that, and um, and then on Terry's blues, every time, like every time we're playing 12 bar blues, because that's an endless learning. That doozy chart is so good. Yeah, it's a great chart. It's so, because it's originally, it's a Benny Carter tune. Yep. Yep. And the original, I don't I've never played the original, but Terry's chart is it's such a okay it's better it's, it's you know, a great chart yeah. it, you just like it because there's a sax solo. i do yeah yeah, yeah. i feel like that uh, I remember we played it on a gig once like 10 years ago yeah and i remember playing like third trumpet or fourth trumpet and afterwards I'm, i went up to one of the sax players it was barry i was like that's pretty playable right he's like oh yeah totally playable it's playable but then it goes up a step at the end yeah that's right. like a kick in the pants yeah you're like okay can you really do this um and yeah so those who can should yeah
So we talked big band repertoire. We talked a little bit of um, a little bit of band repertoire. What's well, like a concert band piece? that's like that has like a really good tonal. Like you, so you mentioned um, what's it called blue and green music. Blue and green music. Yeah. What else is like that? Like lyric. You, you mean so? Yeah, like something that's like different from other things. Oh, different from other things. Um, boy, the, the hardest thing is to pull rep at for me to pull rep out of, out of my right, brain right. as I get older. Um, so, and you're going to have to help me with the arrangers. Um, there are some rearrangements. See, I'm not going modern. I'm, I'm going in the other direction. Um, there are some great rearrangements of movements of Lincolnshire Posey. Mm-hmm. Can you help me out on Michael Sweeney? Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm so sorry. We haven't done those in a while, um, but there's so much going on uh, in those uh, in those. Re- when you, they're from the originals, but harmonically, when you listen to those pieces, they're so modern sounding. I remember walking. I was at a festival and I walked down the hall, and it was a young. It was a middle school band. And I'm like, what am I hearing? Like, oh my gosh, that's that's Granger. You know, um, he's got a he's got an arrangement of you Banks and Bray's and Bonnie Doon. Okay. It's a grade one and a half. Like it's legit a grade one. Yeah. It sounds just like the original. It sounds like Michael Sweeney's ears are burning today. It's so good. Um, yeah, um, another and boy, I, again, it's just it's on the top of mind, so I can't I can't leave it. Um, Sam again, Sam Hazo. I've been listening to a lot of his music lately. Wrote another piece called "Whisper to Their Souls." Mm. Do you know this? No. Um, it could be a holiday piece, but it doesn't have to be. It's loosely based on Green Sleeves. Um, and the counterpoint's just gorgeous. Um, it's, I would say it's a pretty solid three. Um, I think that challenge wise, um, it's just understanding or getting used to the harmonies and where there are seconds of Sam Hazel uses a lot of ninth chords. There's a lot of seconds happening in the group. And then there's a lot of times when, you know, you're playing the melody for to you know two and a half bars and then it immediately moves somewhere else it's all they're all very surmountable issues but it's just gorgeous and lyrical something that makes me really feel really bad right now because we've done a lot of these episodes where we talk about a piece and then we let everybody listen to the piece yeah but i haven't prepared to like you okay. know, some people have to look on their own post-production i i i'm not gonna do that so sorry <laughs> um i have one last one i want to mention i don't know if you have any more but okay. i just heard this piece and i went yes we're gonna do it because i i really like so at our holiday concert in December, um, there's like this the night before Christmas. Yeah. So like I have recently I've had the superintendent come in, like yeah. he sits and he'll sit in a famous chair or whatever and like read and all the kids will come up and yeah. the band plays, you know, like seg- each page, you know, whatever the, the words sound like the story says, like the band plays that. And right. it's, it's always been really popular. Well, I just found this Randall Standridge composition called A Christmas Carol. Go ahead. Yeah. And it is Charles Dickens story in like five movements with like the three ghosts and the before and the after and everything, but it's his original music, but there's odes to all this other music within it. It's totally a great two and a half, but it's a great piece of music. And like, again, narrator and you get the kids come up and sit and listen or whatever. And it's like an interdisciplinary thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a super cool piece of music. So. I'm going to check that one out. Um, that reminded me of another piece that we're we're going to do this. Have you played Elements before? The Petite, it's called the Petite Symphony. No. Um, also Stanbridge. Uh, and it's, uh, it, when you listen to it, you think, no way, no way. But then 
we started working on it, it's it's really playable. Some of the move, movements are more challenging than others, but it's um, um, air, water, earth, and fire. Mm, cool. Uh, it's really interesting piece. Fire is, is rather challenging. Earth is a little bit challenging, but really well-written piece. Uh, and there's lots of percussion, which is right for our point in time gets, that's, that's a really good, good for us. And then um, kind of related to that on the percussion side, and this is not a three, I don't think we played it. I, I told you about this before last year, we did a whole metal theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was our band concert. In the spring, we did a big theme concert yeah. and it was metal, like heavy metal. Yeah. But we did, um, of course we did steel. Steel. Um, but then we did um, John Mackey's Foundry. Yeah. And we went out to our technical arts guys and we said, hey, we're playing this piece and we played it for them. We, we, and they're like, wow, that's so cool. It sounds like heavy metal. I'm like, can you make us some stuff? And our welding guys, and they made this huge metal rack with stuff hanging and we lit it and it was so cool. And they all came to the concert. And that's and, a great piece to do if you have like 74 percussionists or yeah. something. Well, here's the thing is, is I mean, I, I thought John Mackey, we're never going to do it, but it, it's really playable. Yeah. It was very playable um, by our kids and we're really a grade three kind of a place, yep. you know. Um, sorry. And that's okay to live in that grade three. Like we always want to get better, but like, yeah, it's not about the grade level. It's about the music and right. connections. Right. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Kyle. This has been a, a fun honor for me. And the space is like a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Camden Hills Regional High School and all that for making it happen. We sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Growing Band Director. See you next week.